right? When's this gonna stop? You should already know that. <laughs> I want you to watch the movie screen. There's something I wanna show you. A teenager is visited by a nightmarish rabbit who warns him about the end of the world. In our annual Halloween episode, we discuss Ed McMahon's voice, time-traveling acceptance letters from Harvard, and Alan's plan for how NASA can win the space race. Then we find out if Donnie Darko stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? It's me, Alan Noah, welcoming you to the Halloween episode of The Test of Time. Ah, ah, ah. And it's me, James Boorief. Guys, guys, don't turn off the show. It's really just regular Alan and regular James. I know it was super scary what we just did, but it's okay. It's fine. It's just the real us. We were just getting really into the Halloween spirit. So we like the spirit of Halloween, those uh, those shops that sell costumes for, and they rent the store for one month and then they disappear and then come back the following sometimes September. I think it's maybe a two month lease, but yeah, you know uh, who owns them by the way? Who Spencer's really? Yeah. Wow. Good for them. They probably put all that crap into some warehouse in Utah and then let it sit there <laughs> for 10 months and then ship it back out to everyone. There's always going to be a need for the costume, uh, you know, the Frankenstein mask and all that crap. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But before we get into our Halloween movie, Donnie Darko, I saw a news story a while back that made me think of you and me because it kind of combines both of our favorite things – Basically, the story is about how NASA is looking for ground transportation to take astronauts to their space shuttle. I guess they usually use some kind of van that gets them over to the rocket and they want something cooler for some reason. I don't really know the whole story. Anything about NASA and astronauts is pretty boring, as you know. Oh, look at you. That vein in your head is throbbing. But here's the funny thing. Oscar Mayer volunteer the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. The Wienermobile? Is it a space Wienermobile? No, because it's not going into space. But I saw this article and it made me laugh because you love space. I love the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. And it was like, oh, it's like the perfect thing for us to talk about because it's both of our great loves. Do you hate space, Al? Um, no, I don't hate space. Like, when we were on vacation in Hawaii, I really like looking up at the stars and seeing, like, all the stars, which you don't get to see around here. But I just don't, like, care about memorizing every name of every astronaut and every space mission and that one probe that they sent to Neptune. And, oh, God, I'm even boring myself in this hypothetical. You need Voyager 2? Sure. 
I mean, come on. It's the only probe ever sent to Neptune. Okay. Or Uranus. Uranus? Mm. <laughs> but wouldn't that be cool if the astronauts got to ride in the Wienermobile? Yes, I agree. The, the Wienermobile should be put on every single NASA mission from now on. Okay. I mean, that would make me more inclined to watch. There we go. Take the attention away from Bezos and Branson. Get people interested in NASA again with the Wienermobile. Get on it, NASA. That's how you win the space race. Is that what the space race is? I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. The space race uh, ended 52 years ago, Al. It was a race to the moon. And uh, spoiler alert, America won. Who lost? Soviet Union. Even though they won like every single other race. First satellite, first uh, human in space, first animal in space, first woman in space, first person to, to orbit the Earth, first person to go outside in space and all that stuff. But they didn't get to the moon first. They lost the space race. I know that. I just don't care. James, it's Halloween, and we need to talk about a Halloween movie. And when I saw that it was the 20th anniversary of Donnie Darko, I was excited because I've only seen this movie once, not 20 years ago, not when it first came out. I think it was maybe like 15 years ago or so. Uh, Courtney and I watched it on DVD. But I remember being really intrigued by the movie, and I was excited to watch it again. Had you seen this movie before? I am in the same camp as you. This is the second time I've ever seen this film. Oh, okay, cool. I remember liking it. I remember thinking it was cool and interesting. But I did forget that the movie, not only was it released in October, but it's also about Halloween. It's centered on Halloween time. So it's a perfect movie for us to talk about for our Halloween episode, I think. Well, I think the perfect movie would be something like Hocus Pocus. Well, we're going to do that when the new Hocus Pocus comes out on Disney+, Plus, which I think is sometime in 2022. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Halloween, which we already did when the new Halloween came out, and that was our Halloween episode. Well, I mean, it was our uh, second time watching this film, but if it's your zeroth time watching this film... <laughs> I don't think that makes any sense at all. <laughs> or if it's been a while since you've seen it, uh, Donnie Darko is a movie about, well, guess who the film is about? A character named Donnie Darko? That is correct. And Donnie Darko, he's a troubled teenager, and he's also a sleepwalker. And he's sleepwalking one night when a freak accident happens, and a jet engine crashes into his bedroom, which would have killed him, but he was lucky because he wasn't there. At the same time, however, Donnie starts having visions of Frank, this giant freaky rabbit who tells him that the world is going to end by the end of the month. Frank tells Donnie to flood his school, to start a fire. Donnie isn't even sure what's real. Are these visions in his head? Are the voices real? Or does Donnie have a higher purpose, perhaps? Perhaps. I remember that this movie did not do well when it was released, in part because a central part of the plot involves a piece of an airplane falling from the sky, and this movie came out in October 2001, weeks after the September 11th attacks. And it was kind of a flop in the theaters, but then became kind of like a cult classic on DVD, right? 
Right. I, that's actually how I own it. In 2001, there used to still be a thing called Virgin, I think it was called Virgin Media Store or whatever. No, Virgin Megastore. Virgin Megastore, that's it. And they actually would always have these tables right when you walked in of all these really popular films that were five bucks for every DVD. So I remember there would be a lot of films that if I kind of was a little bit interested, I'm like, all right, I can rent it, but why don't I just buy it now? So I, I bought this DVD. I watched it exactly one time, and then I just put it on my shelf, and I did not look at it again for 20 years. And then I found out that Die Darko is not streaming anywhere. <laughs> But luck would have it, I still had the DVD. Well, there you go. And uh, how much money did it make slash lose at the box office? Uh, it didn't make anything uh, at the box office. It was a uh, half million dollar budget. It made about that much in its initial run. Uh, apparently it made seven and a half million through subsequent re-releases over the years. And the DVD was very popular. There was a sequel that uh, most of the original cast is not involved in. Probably made a lot of money for the, for the producers in the end. Gotcha. And the movie opens with Donnie Darko. He's lying on the ground, and he just kind of wakes up far from home at dawn, and then he rides his bike home. And it's established very quickly that this movie takes place in 1988. Donnie and his two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister, and his parents are sitting down for dinner. And his sister is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Donnie himself is Jake Gyllenhaal. So it's his real-life sister playing his older sister in the movie. And she announces that she's voting for Dukakis, which is a shocking thing for uh, their parents to hear because they are conservative and they don't like Dukakis. But quickly throughout this conversation, you get a sense of the family dynamic. And it's clear that Donnie has some mental health issues and he's on medication, but he doesn't like to take his medication. Pills? What is he taking pills for? Now we start to get an idea of what he's taking his pills for, perhaps. Because we get to nighttime and Donnie starts hearing voices. Not really too dissimilar to the voices in Field of Dreams. It is sort of eerie whisper that's telling Donnie all sorts of things and he's sleepwalking at night not sleepwalking like his eyes are closed and you know arms in front of him like a zombie he's kind of just in in a trance walking around and he's having visions he's seeing this human-sized bunny rabbit it kind of resembles I don't know if that that's what it's meant to be but do you know who Harvey is Harvey the rabbit uh, did you talk about him in our Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, I thought so, that sounded familiar. Yeah, it was a very famous film. I think it's from the 50s. And I think it's Jimmy Stewart. It's basically uh, an imaginary friend of this guy. So the Harvey doesn't really exist. So I wonder if that's what this is based off of, because it's such a famous film. Maybe. I'm not sure. I was reading that they wanted the the rabbit to look disturbing and unique and not like the Easter Bunny. And they wanted it to have its own look, basically, where it wouldn't just be derivative of something else. But the rabbit tells Donnie that the world will end in 28 days. And Donnie wakes up on a golf course. Patrick Swayze is there. The character's name is uh, Jim Cunningham. Yeah, I totally forgot Swayze was in this film. Yeah, it's not the biggest role, but it's uh, it's an important side character. No, it's great. And this movie has a fantastic cast. Uh, Mary McDonnell, she is wonderful in this. I know her from um, Dances with Wolves, uh, most famously, but also she was in the Battlestar Galactica remake. She was fantastic in that. 
We mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal, but there's going to be a lot of other guys that people that become bigger later. You have uh, Seth Rogen and a lot of people pop up in this film that later become big. I thought it was cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, And while Donnie is like out that night and sleeping on the golf course, a jet engine falls into his house, into his room, lands on his bed. But luckily, Donnie wasn't there. He's a sleepwalker. He wasn't home. He's fine. And the family's, you know, scared and shaken up. But, you know, no harm, no foul. Everyone's okay. People from the government or the FAA or whoever's there are saying that they don't know where the plane engine came from because there's no report of a plane missing an engine, which is pretty strange. You know, at school, everyone's talking to Donnie and asking him what happened. And we see him in class with Drew Barrymore, who's one of his teachers, also did not remember that she was in this movie. Right. And Noah Wiley. You remember him? He was the star of ER. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was this guy, Richard Kelly, who wrote and directed this film. I kind of get the feeling this was a hot project to be involved in at the time. Well, the person who made it a hot project is Drew Barrymore. Her production company produced this movie Richard Kelly was having a hard time, like, shopping it around and getting a studio to be interested. Studios were interested in it. They liked the script. They liked the concept. But no one wanted to actually make the movie. Uh, And then Drew Barrymore was like, okay, we'll finance it. So she's really responsible for making the movie happen. And so, you know, she gave herself a little role. But it's a minor role. But she plays a teacher. And then a new girl named Gretchen, played by Jenna Malone, comes into her class And Drew Barrymore says that she should sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. And she's kind of being, like, cheeky there. But also, she means it. Like, Gretchen looks around the room and is like, uh, what? But then her eyes kind of stop at Donnie. And then Drew Barrymore is like, okay, you, the girl sitting next to Donnie Darko, you move so she can sit there. And, you know... I'm thinking that that's horribly inappropriate and that would never fly now, but I'm also pretty sure that that was totally inappropriate and wouldn't really fly in 2001 either. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's totally inappropriate then, too. I just think it's something you can get away with. Well, she doesn't get away with it. I mean, she ultimately gets fired. Well, she gets fired for other reasons. This is true. But I think her, what I guess you could call her uh, progressive ideas in teaching do ultimately get her fired. Right, right. There's another teacher in this school played uh, by the wonderful actress Beth Grant. Uh, and it's this character, Kitty Farmer. Are, are you a fan of The Office? Of course I am. Well, you know the episode, The Dinner Party? Of course. Dwight brings over, he needs a date, so he brings over his former babysitter, who is apparently his current lover. Right. It's the same actress. And she plays the role of, like, the conservative Christian uh, woman really well. And she has the same role in this film. And in this film, she's a teacher in the same school. It reminds me of one of my teachers in high school, just so lazy, didn't actually teach. It was one of my Spanish teachers. He didn't actually teach the class. He had the audio book of the textbook, and he used to play the cassette every day, and that's all he would do, and it would ask, like, the questions in order. He would just go in order around the class, so you knew you only had to pay attention once every, like, 24 students, and you'd even, like, read ahead and go, oh, okay, I'm number eight, so just, like, figure out what the answer is now, because I know it's coming in five minutes, and it was easy 
studies class ever. Oh but my god, did you learn anything? Did you retain any of that information? Juan es muy guapo. Guapo. That's what I said. I thought you said guapel. No, I said guapo. Oh. I always know that word because uh, in Three Amigos, the bad guy's named El Guapo, which means the handsome one. But it reminded me of uh, that lazy teacher in high school because she plays this video series. She is completely all in on this kind of cultish series called Overcoming Fear. And it stars Patrick Swayze's character, Jim Cunningham. And you can tell right away that this is one of these fast-talking used car salesman kind of guys. It seems to be filled with nothing but your generic buzzwords of like, believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything, you don't have to fear things, you can do great. And, you know, it's It's like, what the hell are you learning from this? Yeah, the obsession with fear made me think of a movie we watched a while back, uh, Defending Your Life, when that was like the whole thing in the afterlife was, are you ruled by fear? And that's basically what this guy is is peddling here. Uh, another random character in this town is this old lady called Grandma Death. When Donnie is in his car with his father, his father almost hits this woman because she just kind of wanders in the street. She's checking her mailbox, looking for a letter. There's never any letters, but she's always there and she's old and disoriented and she whispers something to Donnie and we don't find out what it is until later. Apparently what she says is that all creatures end up dying alone. And you know, that's a big theme of this movie about being alone and the fear of being alone and the fear of dying alone. But The next thing that Frank, the evil rabbit, tells Donnie to do is to flood the school. And so there are like these flashes of Donnie and the pipe and an axe. And in the middle of the night, he floods the school. School is canceled. And while he's walking home, he starts talking with Gretchen, the new girl. And they hit it off. And he asks her pretty much like right away to be his girlfriend. And she's like... Yeah, sure, why not? And that only happened because Frank told Donnie to flood the school, so they walked home together, so they met, so they talked. That's important. Right. So the police are now investigating what they believe to be a deliberate attack, especially since there was an axe in the front of uh, in front of the school, and uh, it's also spray-painted, They Made Me Do It. I don't know whether there's a plot hole or whether it's uh, maybe it was on purpose showing this incredibly stupid uh, police work. But they force all the children in the class to give a handwriting sample and they have to write, they made me do it on the blackboard. But I mean, I'm no forensic expert, but it seems that you scribbling something with chalk or a pencil is going to be completely different than your handwriting when you're spray painting. That is a very good point. I think it would just be that, like, the cops are investigating it somehow. They don't really know what to do, and so they're kind of grasping at straws. That's my guess. Or maybe it's just one of those things where they're just waiting to see who's going to, like, pee their pants when they have to write it or something and be really nervous because, yeah, they're not really actually going to figure it out from uh, handwriting analysis. That could be. And then Donnie gets into a fight with Mrs. Farmer, the teacher who's obsessed with the Jim Cunningham videos like you were talking about, and he gets in trouble with his parents, and he is also in therapy. His therapist is asking him all these questions. She thinks he's a paranoid schizophrenic, 
She puts him under hypnosis therapy. Uh, he starts talking about how much he likes Christina Applegate because remember, this is 1988, so he's probably watching her on Married with Children. And at some point, Frank starts talking to Donnie about time travel. So then Donnie starts asking his teacher about it, uh, the teacher played by Noah Wiley, and he gives Donnie this book about time travel that was written by this woman named Roberta Sparrow, who is now Grandma Death, the old lady who's always waiting for a letter in her mailbox. When she was a younger woman, she wrote this book on time travel, and that too is important. That is significant. Yes, and, you know, I don't remember really anything about this film. Do they ever really explain this Grandma Death character? Do they ever explain why she's crazy? Like, what's going on? She's pacing back and forth to the mailbox. Do they explain this? No. Um, There is a director's cut of the movie that incorporates more of her book about time travel into the, the plot. And so it sort of explains what's happening in the bigger picture with Donnie. But no, it doesn't answer questions about her herself. You can sort of extrapolate, uh, and there are theories about what happened to her, and that maybe when she was younger, she went through the same thing that Donnie Darko is going through in this movie, except her outcome was different because she lived and went on to be an old lady but that maybe drove her crazy but none of that is said or really even implied in the movie you kind of just have to like extrapolate a bit from the director's cut so that was a long way of saying no you didn't miss anything don't feel bad about anything they don't really answer that so now uh, Mrs. Farmer, she's obsessed with Jim Cunningham. And Jim Cunningham, he's something of a minor celebrity in this town. Actually, for this town, he's probably the biggest celebrity they have. Uh, Ms. Farmer invites Jim to come and speak. And you can tell that she is possibly physically attracted to him, but she is so excited this guy's coming. And the kids get to ask a few questions. He doesn't answer any of them because the kids all have valid questions of like, what do I do when I grow up? And you know, how do I get a boy to like me? And, and he goes, come on on stage. You come on stage. And you know he's probably going to wind up telling him like, all you got to do is find the answer. And guess what? The answer is inside you. You know, some crap like that. He doesn't actually answer anything. But then Donnie comes to the microphone and and he's got a great, uh, you know, wide eyes in the beginning. Like, oh, thank you, Mr. Cunningham. Just have a question to ask you. But his question is, how much are you getting paid to be here? Yeah. And, you know, actually, to be fair, I think that's an unfair question. I'm a doctor. I'm paid to be there. I have volunteered before, but no, on my day-to-day job, I'm paid to be there. So I don't think there's anything. What? Yeah, that's right. I don't volunteer to be a, to be a medical professional. You scumbag. I thought you did it because you liked helping kids. I picked this job because I like helping kids, but I also... <laughs> you also like eating and paying rent and things like that? Well, I don't like paying rent. But, <laughs> um, no one does. But, uh, you know, I thought that was an unfair question. I think there could be a lot of other things like, how many books are you going to sell by coming here today? You know, something like that. But he definitely antagonizes him. And Jim, he quickly is falling apart. He tries to act all cool. He's like, this is a great opportunity, folks. Yeah, now we can really talk to somebody. All right. And you could tell he's kind of buying time. He does not know how to talk to a guy that is not just meet his match. He's his intellectual superior. 
Right. He, he's calling him out on it. And all Jim Cunningham can say is, oh, well, this is just fear because that's all he knows to say. And it clearly upsets Jim, but it also upsets Donnie. And while he takes Gretchen on a date to see uh, the evil dead, because remember, it's Halloween time. She falls asleep and then Frank shows up in the movie theater and starts telling Donnie that he needs to burn down Jim Cunningham's house. And, you know, that's a weird thing for a talking rabbit to say to a kid. Uh, But it's also been established earlier in the movie that Donnie was sleepwalking one time and set a house on fire or set a building on fire, set some kind of fire. So this is a thing he's done before while sleepwalking. And also, this is a thing that schizophrenics can hear in their head. They can hear, you know, kill them all, burn it down. So I don't remember this film at this point. So I don't know what's going on. Is this kid going through schizophrenia? Because schizophrenia onset is late adolescence and typically in males. So this really is kind of a, a realistic time for a schizophrenia to, to kick in on a young man. Interesting. But also in this conversation, he's not only telling him to burn down Jim's house, he also takes off his mask. Donnie says, why are you wearing that stupid rabbit mask? And then the rabbit says, why are you wearing that stupid man costume? But Frank does take off his mask and he's a kid. He looks like a kid around Donnie's age, but there's something wrong with his eye. He's missing one of his eyes and we don't know why that is, but Donnie does listen to Frank. He burns Jim's house down. And while the firemen are there putting out the fire, they happen to discover a like ton of child pornography and Jim Cunningham's arrested. Yeah. And, you know, you had no idea why he was burning down the house. But now you see that maybe this isn't in his head because... Whoever's giving him this information seems to have some information of why you would burn this guy's house down and why burn it down. Why not like destroy his car? Why not uh, do something to deface his property? No, you have to burn it so that firefighters can come in and they say, hey, there's another room back here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Also, while all this is going on, Donnie's younger sister, not Maggie Gyllenhaal, but the little girl is in a dance troupe called Sparkle Motion, which is an amazing name. And we see them dance at the talent show. Uh, They're dancing to Notorious by Duran Duran. And the leader of their little troupe is Miss Farmer, the teacher who's obsessed with Jim Cunningham. And after he's arrested for child pornography, she is unable to take the girls to Star Search. Remember Star Search with Ed McMahon? Hi, yes. Yes, I do. I don't even know if that's a good Ed McMahon because I feel like I haven't heard Ed McMahon's voice in many years because he died so long ago. That's my impression of Phil Hartman's impression of Ed McMahon. I don't know what Ed McMahon sounded like, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, he said, hello. Right, right. But I only know that from basically The Simpsons. (laughs) So Okay. Uh, And the scene where she's talking to Mrs. Darko is hilarious like this character miss farmer she has some good comic relief but the funniest line in this whole movie and this movie is not a comedy but when she's talking to mrs darko and saying you have to go to star search you have to go to california mrs darko is like "Eh, i don't know and miss farmer says you know i really question your commitment to sparkle motion oh she's saying it like crying she's like sometimes i doubt your commitment to sparkle motion 
It's so well delivered. Beth Grant nails that line. She absolutely does. It is really, really laugh out loud funny. But this sets more events into motion where now Mrs. Darko and the younger sister are going to go away to California. The dad's away on business. And then the older sister, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, finds out that she gets into Harvard and Donnie Darko's so happy, he says, let's throw a party. Also, though, who finds out that they got into Harvard in October? That's not when admission letters are sent. Ooh, good point. Right? I mean, I applied early, and I think I found out in January? And then if you apply normal, isn't it like March, April you find out? Well, you applied early to Harvard, Al? To Cornell, I did apply early. (laughs) But, like, I don't think Harvard finds out, like, several months before every other school. Unless she was going to, like, start in the spring semester, maybe? Who knows, Al? I think you just found a huge plot hole. Maybe it was a time-traveling acceptance letter that was really sent out in January. (gasps) Oh, that's the key to understanding this movie. Mm -hmm. Ah, I didn't think of it that way. But Donnie does have this party. Gretchen comes over. And Gretchen is, like, really upset because she had this, like, abusive stepdad who is, like, terrorizing her mom. And now her mom's gone missing. And she's petrified. And she's so sure that it's her stepdad. And she's so worried that she has sex with Donnie Darko. I was very confused by that. Like, I understand, like, teens are emotional and these things don't always make sense. But, like... If she's that petrified and worried about her mother being murdered, would she also then just want to have sex for the first time? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure why this happened. It almost reminded me in the last couple weeks of uh, some of the James Bond films. Like, why are they having sex? This seems to be an unnecessary encounter. But this one even more so, because unnecessary in James Bond, but that's what James Bond does. I don't know. It did seem a little out of place. Yeah, definitely. I thought so. Did you ever throw a party in your home, Al? Um, My parents listen to this podcast, so I'm going to say... No. My parents do not listen to this podcast, so I will say yes, I did. Whoa, you had a rager? No, I had four. Four ragers? Well, they were increasingly big. And the fourth one, the fourth brief fest, as it was known, was so big, uh, that scared me into never having one again. It was one of these wall-to-wall, I did not know one out of 20 people that were in my house. This is in high school? Or college? Or when? High school. If it wasn't college, wouldn't you have been invited to a wall-to-wall party? I would hope so. I didn't realize you were so cool in high school. I was not. But (laughs) this is one of those things where there was a house to go to. I do remember walking through the party and hearing somebody talk about whose house they thought it was. And like, I heard it's some guy's house named Dave or something, (laughs) which is probably, you know, they misheard James and then heard Dave and something like that. So, yep, that happened. Wow, way to go. Even if they had no idea who you were, I'm still impressed, James. Very cool. Very, very cool. But after Donnie and Gretchen have sex, Donnie starts freaking out because now it's right when the world is supposed to end, according to Frank the Rabbit. And so then Donnie decides they need to go to Grandma Death's house because she wrote this book on time travel. Frank's talking about time travel. He thinks time travel has something to do with all of this stuff that's going on. He doesn't know what, but he wants to go see Grandma Death. 
And when they get there, the bullies are there. Uh, Seth Rogen plays one of the bullies. This is his first movie role. And uh, I don't know the name of the actor for the other bully, but the two of them are there, I guess, stealing from Grandma Death for some reason. And uh, one of them has a knife and looks like he might, like, kill Donnie Darko because Donnie and Gretchen and their friends, like, walked in on them stealing. It very quickly turns from, like, these are punk kids who are mean to other kids at school to, like, this one's, you know, breaking and entering and an attempted murderer. Uh, I mean, yeah, he did pull out a, a switchblade earlier in the film. Yeah, and that surprised me there. But uh, I guess that the guy was a nut. I mean, you assume that this character does not make it to 30. Because he, he eventually gets into a fight with some guy he should not have confronted. Right. I get what you mean. But anyway, while Donnie and the bully are fighting, they're out in the street. And Grandma Death walks by. And a car swerves to miss her. But then hits Gretchen, runs her over. It's like brutal when you see her get run over. And the person who is driving the car is Frank, the rabbit, uh, who is also dating the Maggie Gyllenhaal character, apparently. And he steps out of the car and he can't believe that he ran over this girl. He's yelling at them like, what were you doing in the street? And then Donnie shoots him in the eye because... He killed his girlfriend. He's angry. He got a gun earlier in the movie. We didn't at all talk about like the water thing, you know, like the the water that comes out of people's chests and it's sort of like leading them where they're going to go. And it leads Donnie to this gun. I assume it's a symbol of, you know, fate. But yeah, so Donnie has a gun and he shoots Frank in the eye and he has his look on his face after he shoots him where he's both shocked and horrified by what he's done and also he totally knew that it was going to happen i mean that's a lot in one face but i thought jake gyllenhaal was really good in that scene oh uh, i didn't pick that up i just thought it was a very uh eerie scene i didn't quite get what was going on because i was like oh frank just got out of the car frank the rabbit i was confused because we had seen this kid before this is the sister's boyfriend yeah, you hear her talk about Frank, that it's her boyfriend, but you don't see him in that capacity. You don't see his face other than in the movie theater scene when he takes off his mask and he's missing the eye. Right, but we just know that her boyfriend is Frank and you assume this is the Frank. Yes, correct. But I think to your point, it's supposed to be jarring when you see Frank in this context, in the real world, where he's just a kid with a mask who's not, you know, a prophet of death and destruction. My guess is that this moment is a moment that in the theater, in a packed theater, which didn't really happen, but the whole crowd was supposed to go, <gasps> you know, when when Frank gets out of the car. Also, he's wearing the mask when he's driving, which probably isn't smart and probably didn't help him avoid this accident. You know, like, I understand that they were all in the middle of the street, but, like, don't drive wearing a mask over your head. Right. But... In the aftermath of everything that's happened, Gretchen is dead. Frank is dead. He's a murderer. He's presumably scared. But then he sort of figures it out. He goes back to like this mountaintop, which is where he woke up in the very beginning of the movie. And he sees this portal. Because also, by the way, his mom and sister are coming back from Star Search. They did very well. Three and a half stars. And they're taking a red eye home, presumably because Mrs. Darko is worried about her son, Donnie Darko, who's having all these episodes. And 
while they're on their plane home, the plane starts shaking and the jet engine falls off. This is a jet engine from earlier in the movie that would have killed Donnie. There's this giant wormhole in the sky. Donnie sees it. He starts laughing. It's like he understands what's happening. And everything that we saw in the movie goes backwards. It's all in reverse. It's all rewinding because now Donnie is going back in time to the beginning of the movie. He's lying in bed. He wakes up. He laughs and he lies back down and the engine comes crashing through the roof. This is also another like (gasps) kind of moment. It sort of ties everything together. Not necessarily in the clearest way possible, but it brings together the whole time travel thing. Right. And now, uh, essentially, Donnie has changed the timeline because he's now killed. So everyone that Donnie winds up interacting with over the month of October and having their lives affected is no longer affected. Gretchen, the new girl in town, she bikes by his house and she sees a lot of commotion because the firefighters are there and ambulances and stuff. And some kid explains that one of his neighbors, Donnie, he was crushed by an engine. We see that uh, the therapist, she wakes up in like a cold sweat. And uh, also Jim Cunningham, he wakes up uh, very nervous. And I wonder, does Jim now get away with his child porn? I mean, probably, probably. I think that Donnie, by reversing everything that happened, he's doing some good because Gretchen and Frank will live, but also maybe there is some bad mixed in there. Maybe now Jim Cunningham gets to be a pervert for the rest of his life. And some articles I was reading today, I saw something that said that he killed himself like 10 days later. I'm not sure if that's from a deleted scene or a novelization or something. But also, while we're seeing this montage of all of the characters, we are hearing this beautiful, beautiful cover of Mad World. Uh, Do you know this song? No, I don't. So it's originally by Tears for Fears, and it's a pretty, like, quick song. Here, I'm going to play a little clip of this song here. Now here's the version in Donnie Darko. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take. When people run in circles, it's a very, very mad Wow, that, that's really different. Yeah, it's a completely different song, totally different arrangement. It's beautiful. It matches everything that you're seeing with all of these characters. And all of their lives are changed and different because everything that we saw that happened has now been undone. And yet the movie ends with Gretchen going by the house and sharing this moment with Donnie's mom. And they wave at each other. Even though they haven't met in this timeline, they still seem to have some memory, some awareness of what had happened. But it's an ambiguous ending, and that's it. Then the movie ends. It does. It just ends right there. And um, this film now, this film is now 20 years old. What do you think? Does Donnie Darko stand the test of time? Well, I think that the movie 
is clever. I think it's original. I think it tells a time travel story in an interesting way because it looks at time travel and like this kind of sci-fi story, but also incorporates like teen angst and coming of age feelings and also issues of like mental health and the fear of dying alone. And there's a lot of religious symbolism in this movie and questions about fate and destiny and things like that. So there's a lot in here and a lot of it works altogether. You can imagine why it wouldn't all work together, but it does work better than it should. But I'm going to contradict myself because the thing that doesn't work about this movie is that there's so much in here that some of it just doesn't have a chance to breathe. Like the Noah Wiley character, like the Drew Barrymore character. We didn't mention when she gets fired and she's like walking out of the school, she's carrying like all of her stuff, including the American flag. I was like, did she bring her own American flag to school? Like, I would assume teachers don't do that. The school provides the flags. You'd be shocked what teachers have to pay for for their own classrooms. It's pathetic. That is true. That is a big problem. But I feel like her character, uh, there's the girl that is on Donnie's bus stop and other kids make fun of her and she seems to have a crush on Donnie. Like, that's interesting. But like, what's the rest of her story? I think there are things that aren't really fleshed out and there could have been more story there. I was reading that the theatrical cut had to be under two hours, which is why some scenes were cut and they're in the director's edition. doesn't seem like they answer these kinds of questions and talk about these things that I'm talking about. I feel like they could have fleshed out some of these other things that might have helped the story, maybe made things a little bit more clear. I know that there is like confusion that like people didn't understand what the ending was, but I think the movie is clever enough. It's intriguing enough. It's thought provoking enough. I think the acting is really good. Jake Gyllenhaal is such a baby face in this movie. He's like, he's a kid, Uh, but he's really great in the movie. I love, love, love this cover of Mad World uh, that they do at the end. I'm going to say that the movie does stand the test of time. James, what do you think? Well, I'm going to tell you something uh, about this film. Like you, I, I read a couple of websites uh, about this. I, I had trouble with the ending, and this explains it wonderfully. And it's really cool. So apparently, this film takes place in an unstable, what they call a tangent universe that's physically connected to our primary universe by a wormhole. And that's the entrance, that vortex that we see uh, at the end of the film. And our universe and the Tangier universe are exactly identical, except for one object known as an artifact. That's the metal object, in this case, the jet engine. And it turns out if the artifact is not sent back to the primary universe by this chosen living receiver, who's Donnie Darko, if it's not returned to the primary universe within 28 days, the primary universe will be destroyed and the tangential universe will be destroyed in a black hole. So to aid in this task to save the universes, the receiver is given superhuman abilities like foresight, physical strength, elemental powers. However, it comes at the cost of giving him unnatural things like uh, paranoia and visions and hearing things. 
Finally, there's these things called the manipulated living, or in other websites, they were called the manipulated dead. And these are all the other people around the receiver who are all doing little things to put the receiver in the right place, get him his gun, and put him in the right place so he learns the right thing, and there's going to be a science teacher to teach him the right thing when he needs to learn it. And everyone is doing everything they need to do to save everything so that the receiver has no choice but to return the artifact to the primary universe. And that's what he does. He returns the jet engine to where it was supposed to be crushing him in bed. Right. Where the hell was that in this film? In the director's cut. (laughs) Apparently in the director's cut, uh, they actually like have text on screen that explains a lot of this stuff from uh, Grandma Death's book. And apparently there was a website that a lot of this stuff came from. It was a real companion website. And this is a big thing back in the early 2000s. It just, it doesn't count, Al. If it's in some website somewhere, if you have to hunt it down to find out what this film was like, then that's a major problem with this film. It's not one scene that I didn't quite get. This is the central part of this film. And I'll tell you one thing. I saw this film exactly one time before this, and I hated it. Really? I hated it. This film fell into the Napoleon Dynamite Garden State category, which was these early 2000s movies that people told me, this is the funniest, the greatest, the best drama ever. I kind of missed the initial hype for the first year when they came out. And then when I finally saw them, I'm like, all right, Napoleon Dynamite, funniest film I'm ever going to see. And, and then I'm, I'm disappointed. Garden State, this is going to be the best indie film ever. Uh, I don't think it was. And Donnie Darko, I'm finally going to see the film that everyone says is going to blow your mind. And I didn't get it at all the first time I saw it. And this time, I didn't get it, but I saw an article that explained it. And then I I actually watched the ending again, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But that's not fair. There's a very famous film that we've talked about, 2001. And 2001 doesn't make a lot of sense. I read the novel. It makes a lot of sense, the film, once you read the novel. But that's not fair. That doesn't count. I think that counts against Stanley Kubrick. And this film... I just don't get it. It has the elements to be there. And you know what? This this director's cut might be great. And it might be one of these uh, Blade Runner situations where the two different versions of the film, one is great and one is really bad. I don't think that's the case. A lot of people didn't like the director's cut because of all the hand-holding. Mm. It's good for the websites that explain it, but it doesn't make for a good pleasurable viewing experience, apparently. I mean, I do want to say you're absolutely right about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal, I, I don't really see her in many films, and she was great in this film. I, I mean, I knew her in like, the Batman films, and I think I've seen her in a couple things, but I thought she was really good in this film, and everyone else, uh, yeah. McConnell, and uh, you know, Seth Rogen has a small nothing role in this film, but Swayze is great as always. I think the acting is great. Mm-hmm. I think this is, this is one of those films that I think it did need to hold my hand, and if I have to read a website to understand understand the movie then i'm sorry i can't really recommend this to someone because i'm gonna say oh you gotta read this web page first or or afterwards and then 
retroactively, it'll be cool. I need to be able to understand the film when I watch it. And it was better than the first time I saw it. I will give it credit there. I did not hate this film. I actually thought it was pretty intriguing and I understood more of it this time, but not enough. I just think it's an overrated film. I do. I apologize to the people that love it. Maybe I just don't get it. I don't know. But for me, Donnie Darko does not stand the test of time. I am not arguing with anything you're saying because I totally, totally get it. Just playing devil's advocate, though. If you don't read this website and you don't listen to this podcast and you don't get this explanation, do you need it? Like, do you really need that information to appreciate the movie and the points it's making and what it's saying about mental health, which, yeah, it's a little overwrought at times. They beat you over the head with some of this stuff that's true. But I don't know. I just felt like the whole idea of being on this course and it's your destiny and you have to follow where the water lines lead you and fate and everything, even though it was corny at times, it just kind of worked for me. I don't know, for me, it just came across as your art film. I mean, a little bit pretentious art film. Yeah. I think it's a nicely shot film, a very well-acted film, and the, the story is intriguing. I just think there needs to be a better editing job. And, you know, another one of these situations, we've been through it a lot now, that a script doctor or an editing job could have made this film or even maybe the raw footage they shot had enough in there to satisfy me. But the film that was released, the one that I saw for this podcast, it doesn't hold up for me. I'm sorry, it doesn't stand the test of time. Respectfully, I'm not going to say do not watch this film because a lot of people seem to love this film. So it just didn't click with me. That's all. Everything you're saying is totally valid. I get it. I see your point. I could see why it comes across as pretentious. It, it is pretty pretentious in, in certain aspects. It's a little bit like, you know, this guy kind of had his head up his ass. Like he was really proud of himself for all of his, you know, little religious allegories and the, the cellar door thing that that's the most beautiful phrase. Like just put in some random shit like that and <laughs> that'll impress my film professor. Ha <laughs> ha. Exactly. I don't know why he's French. <laughs> also, the writer-director, Richard Kelly, his other movies are not considered on the same level as Donnie Darko, which does have a cult following. He did The Box. Yeah, I heard about that film. It seems like a, a, a random Twilight Zone episode. I think the premise is like you're locked in a room with a button, and like if you press the button in this box, then you get a million dollars, but someone random in the world dies. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and Southland Tales, whatever his, like, auteur voice is, it didn't really connect uh, with audiences beyond this movie. But that's going to do it for us this week. That's going to do it for our Halloween episode, our Halloween spooktacular. Oh, freaky. But we will be back next week in your feeds with Pleasantville, a movie that we are going to be reviewing with our friend Mike Kahn. Have you ever seen Pleasantville, Al? I have not. Ooh, we shall find out if it is pleasant or not pleasant. <laughs> that was a very long pause. Um, we will find out. Join us. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're listening on Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever, smash that subscribe button. Talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Test of Time Pod. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Die, die! Ha 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 ha!
It's like bye-bye, but the Halloween episode. I get it, but don't tell our audience members to die. Okay, how about bad-bye? Oh. <laughs>